welcome to Resilience in Life and Leadership with your host, Stephanie Olson. Well, I'm excited to introduce to you Kelly Calabrese. And Kelly kind of rocked my world a little bit. She thought she had it all together with a beautiful family, going to church, living in an estate home with all of the things until her husband of 24 years came home and said his commitment to their marriage was zero and he left. It took her to her knees and emptied her out. And for the first time, she experienced depression, anxiety, And even as a health and wellness professional for 34 years studying personal development, nothing prepared her for divorce. She went on a journey to heal and had to figure out how to stop the pain, and she did. And it took her over three years and tens of thousands of dollars and retreats, counselors, and all of the things. But not only did she survive, but she is now thriving And today she empowers women to overcome the fear, grief, and rejection of divorce so they can create a fabulous bonus life that they can be excited about. Welcome, Kelly. Hello, and welcome to Resilience in Life and Leadership. And I am so excited to be here with Kelly Cabrice. Welcome, Kelly. I'm glad you're here. Stephanie, thanks for having me. It is such an honor. I am happy and so excited to be here. Yes. And I am excited to hear all about what you're doing, what you have experienced. And I must say, I would love to learn a little bit because I too have been through a few things. So I will just ask you to start and just share your story and how you got to be where you are. Oh, well, thank you. I was born and raised in the New York, New Jersey, Northeast area. And when I was 13, I wrote in my diary, I will be an exercise therapist, really not even knowing what that meant. (laughs) I just knew I was really happy when I was running, dancing, jumping, softball, cheerleading. I mean, anything I could do, there was this endorphin rush. I'm like, wow, what do people not get about this? This is awesome. (laughs) And I also wanted to move away from a really strong family history of heart disease, diabetes, obesity, cancer, stroke, alcoholism. I mean, I looked at all that and went, ooh, I don't want anything to do with that. So I went on a quest pretty early and I did get three college degrees and I went on to get, you know, 27 certifications all around fitness, health, nutrition, wellness, lifestyle, and, you know, really had a blessed career. I owned and operated health clubs. I managed corporate fitness centers and Got to do writing, speaking, consulting, editing, spokesperson, media work, you know, been on all the networks, spoke around the world and wrote best-selling books. And it it was awesome. I mean, really, really incredible. And then I guess the big turning point for me more recently was about four years ago when my husband of 24 years came home and he said, my commitment to our marriage is zero. And he left. (laughs) Wow. Lord me. So that was the major life event turning point for me that sent me on a new journey, still revolved around health. But now I empower women to overcome the fear and rejection and guilt that goes along with divorce so that they can create a whole new bonus life where they can heal and do something amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. So I've got to ask, 24 years of marriage and he comes home and says this, did you have any idea at all? I never thought that he would leave ever. You know, that's why you marry them. You you don't think I'm going to the altar. And looking back, it was a slow fade. I mean, I can't say that both of us were so happy, but I just never thought 
he would leave. And, you know, our, our divorce was quick and he was reengaged within a month of our divorce and remarried oh pretty quickly. Gosh. So it was just like shock after shock, you know, insults after insults. Yeah. So yeah. it was a lot of unreasonable difficulty in a really short amount of time. Wow. That's so I've been married 24 years. So that oh, is congratulations. Truly, well, thank you. <laughs> but it's terrifying hearing something like that because you think, okay, things are fine. And you know, what in the world do you do when that happens? What, I mean, I'm assuming the shock was pretty overwhelming and then you have to, you know, get up off the floor and figure out what <laughs> next, right? Yeah. So shock is totally first. That's the start of grief. <laughs> and there's no real linear, beautiful order to this. It is messy, but it includes right. denial, anger, sadness, depression. I mean, there's all these just ugly things that kind of you have to process through or not, but right. eventually to get to a place of healthy readjustment. And then I like to take people even higher than they've ever been. Like you, you could be better than you ever knew before mm. because of such a you know horrific, traumatic thing that happens in your life. So yeah, I was on the floor, emptied out, just, it was like a tornado came through, scattered my life everywhere and left this gaping, painful hole in my heart. Yeah. And I wanted to figure it out and I wanted to do it in a healthy way. Yeah. So, so tell me what that looked like. What were those next steps? Yeah. So I am by nature, a knowledge person. So mm -hmm. I want to figure this out. Yes. Yes. So I lovingly went on what I call a sabbatical for about three years where I wow. really pressed in every single day. Cause I had been studying personal development at this point for over 30 years. I had been a coach for 30 years, right. a science person understanding, you know, mindset and, and none of what I knew prepared me for this. And I had had loss in my life before I'd lost my dad, my best friend to mm -hmm. cancer. It wasn't like I was unfamiliar, but this was just my thing. So I went to divorce recovery. I went on the retreats. I went to the conferences. Mm -hmm. I listened to the sermons. I was in the Bible studies. I read the books, listened to the Ted talks. I mean, I really did everything in all, I hired about 21 experts yeah. <laughs> over the three and a half years because wow. I was determined to be well. So I had a breath expert. I had a grief expert. Mm -hmm. I went to the healing place. I had a divorce coach. Um, you know, I had a meditation coach. I mean, I was just seeking like, okay, something has got to make me better because I need to hold up the mirror and say, okay, what was my part in that? Cause it wasn't a hundred percent him and 0% sure. me. And I don't ever want to repeat this again. And I want to be the best version of myself. So I, I really did. I mean, I did deliverance. I, did, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I did energy work. I was, I was just going for it. Wow. Wow. So at, at what time? So I, I'm just, I'm stuck on the 24 years and just being blindsided. What do you say to your husband at that point? Because I would imagine the anger, the, the not having a choice in the matter would yeah. just be so difficult. So when you're married to someone and you come together, your souls are tied. Absolutely. So it is a soul tie. So when we, when he said those words, we were actually in a counselor's office. So we had had a discussion mm. about taxes. It was in March 
And it was another, you know, blow up about money kind of thing. And I just said, we need to go see a counselor because we can't every March have these same issues over money. And so we went to the counselor's office and the counselor said, on a scale of one to 10, how committed are you to the marriage? And he said, Kelly, I think I know where you are. And he, to to the side, showed me his clipboard and he had the number 10 written on it. And I said, yes, I'm a 10. And then he said to my husband, what's your number? And that's when he said zero. And when I tell you, I could feel like a guttural tearing of my soul and heart sitting there on the couch. I mean, it was a palpable, just tearing of the soul. So you can't separate the body, the mind and the spirit. It it was a shock. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. And so, so what happens in that moment? What is the conversation like that? you know, he said, you're saying 10, he's saying zero. I I just, I can't even imagine. I, I can imagine what you're feeling, but what is he saying? What was his reasoning? Well, the, the person who leaves has been thinking about it on average for two years. Wow. Okay. So the person who's blindsided is in this moment, but if you've had two years to think about this, you're already thinking like, okay, I'm going to tell my parents this, I'm going to say this at work. I'm going to move into this apartment yeah, I'm gonna, foot out the door like, two years yeah. ahead. So yeah. he, you know, was already like he had processed it. So he was way ahead of me in that regard. So I think he was just postured to, you know, receive whatever killed his mind was made up already. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And these were all things I didn't know until I studied to become a divorce coach. And then they make so much sense. Like the knowledge really made sense to me because then you're like, Oh, he'd been thinking about it maybe for four years. I don't know, but two years is the average. So it made sense that everything was very matter of fact for him getting an apartment. Meanwhile, you know, I'm just like, Whoa. Okay. So, so then what you start to, you see all of these experts, you, is is anything working? Um, It happened in stages. I would get little breakthroughs, but then there'd be another trigger. You know, all of a sudden you see him on social media with a picture of a girl and then, you know, you think you're okay. And then, you know, something happens with the kids and it was just like trigger, trigger, trigger. So you think you're doing good. And then, you know, he shows up at you know, one of the kids events with his new girl and his new, you know, Mm. grandson or whatever. And you're just like, whoa, like none of us are prepared for this. And so I kept getting knocked back down and it was a lot. The kids were going into junior and senior year, literally like two Mm. days before this announcement to them. So that's a challenging age already. You know, they've got their licenses and their jobs and their sports and boyfriend, girlfriends, whatever. So they had their own, you know, anger and things to deal with. And what I didn't know is that the stronger parent is the one who gets the worst of them. And that was me. You know, I was always a stronger parent. So it made no sense because I was like, oh my goodness, feeling like such the victim, but I was always the strong one. So you get the the ugly side of that. So on top of trying to navigate your own like, oh my goodness, you know, where, where am I going to live? And how am I going to keep my, you know, professional clients going and whatever right. you're dealing with whew, what they were going through. Now, were they blaming anybody? Um, I wouldn't say they were blaming, but they were so hurt. Boys and girls typically do it different. So boys yeah. usually get angry and my son was angry mm-hmm. and girls usually shut in and right. they just close right. down and they don't talk and they try and escape. You know, we're, we're all going to do something when we're in pain and they were still right. so young. 
And so um, that's another reason why I did the divorce coaching too, because when I got divorced, I actually had eight friends who lived in my neighborhood of only 110 homes getting divorced at the same time. Wow. And so I was watching when you're in pain, you're going to choose something, whether yeah. it's alcohol, another man, Absolutely. escape, travel. I mean, you can overexercise. You can take something yep. good and just throw yourself into it because you're trying to stop the pain. And I really wanted to do something healthy and I'm committed to help other women do something healthy. I don't know how you do this if you don't have physical health and strong faith, because I had yes. both of those, but the emotional and the mental, and I was normally, I mean, I'm a super achiever. I've always, you know, just had it together, ultra responsible, but my brain wasn't working. Yes. Right. I couldn't think. I just was like glazed. I couldn't remember. I mean, I almost had a photographic memory when I was younger and I couldn't even remember why I walked into the room or what I was getting at the grocery store. So it was a real PTSD type of trauma. Yeah. yeah. So, so how long would you say that it took you to really push through that traumatic pain, because that really is what it is. It's trauma yeah. and, um, dealing with that. And, you know, I love that you talk about your faith because really being able to press into something that's not you is so important. That's so it important. Is. Yeah. Well, according to the research, three to five years is average. And obviously yeah. depending how long you were married and how much you really your identity was in being a wife right. makes a difference too. And if you left or if you were the one who was left, so that there are, are things that differ. So on average, it's about three years. I probably was three to three and a half years in. I remember being about a year in and going to lunch with a friend and asking him about how long he was about seven years in until you felt normal. And he goes, normal about four years. And I, I almost spit my tea out. I was like, four years. Like that just seemed like, I'm not going to make it. Like yeah. I'm going to. And so I, the last part for me, and I still have my moments. I mean, I still have hard days. And in fact, right now he has COVID and was in the hospital and I, you know, oh, wow. my heart, like I feel for him. So, um, and, and not that I want him back in any way, but I like, I'm concerned in a, yeah. in a concerned way. I'd say it was just over three years when the very last part of my healing was forgiveness. And even though I had said the words, I forgive him, I forgive him, but I knew there was still like this, oh, this bitter root that was still in there. And it was 4th of July weekend where I, I just sat down on the couch and I said, I am not moving. I am not getting up until I am better and I've forgiven. And I read a book called Forgiving Forward, and it was about forgiving myself. Yeah. more than anything else, because I felt like such a failure. And yeah. I just sat there sobbing on the couch. Like I wouldn't forgive myself. Like I needed to hold my own feet to the fire and burn myself. This wasn't supposed to happen to me. And I was just holding myself up as such a failure. And so I sat there until, you know, I kind of cried it out and just released it. And it was so powerful. And I do teach a lot on forgiveness and, yeah. you know, I'm not minimizing anyone's pain. Horrible things happen. I work with women of divorce. There is just, you know, horrific, abusive, I mean, terrible, but it's yes. not about the other person. It's about you. Yes. And so if you can forgive yourself, there's an incredible freedom and power that comes with that. So much. I was, um, I, forgiveness is a huge thing for me because, um, 
I've been through divorce. I've been through um, domestic and sexual violence and all the things. And you know, I heard someone say the other day that forgiveness cannot happen. You should not forgive until the person comes to you and says, I'm sorry, and is truly repentant. And I thought, you know, what if the person that you want to hear those words from is no longer available or is not living? And what the the worst thing that we can do for ourselves, for our physical and mental, emotional and spiritual health is hold on to that, that anger and bitterness because it just eats away at us. And so Absolutely. To, to say, I forgive you and let it go. That is so much more about doing something for us than it is ever doing something for the individual who Completely. you're trying to forgive. Yeah. Stephanie, I couldn't agree more. So true. I mean, when someone walks in the room, who's bitter, you yeah. can feel it. Oh. I mean, that, like you're like, Whoa, yeah. what are they so angry about? I mean, they're defensive. Yeah. And so whatever's in you, when you're squeezed, when the pressure of life happens, that's what's coming out of you. Right. And if it's all this, you know, ugly stuff that's been pressed down, that's what's coming out. So the, the highest level of forgiveness is to forgive the person in the area that they offended you. So for example, in my case, my ex-husband, former husband and his new wife, I forgive him, but I bless their marriage. Mm-hmm. I speak nothing but life over their marriage. I hope they're happy. They make it till death do they part. They complete each other. You know, all of that, I have no animosity. I mean, I could say with 100% honesty, I harbor nothing bitter That's against great. him. I don't necessarily want to have dinner with him, but (laughs) I, I don't have any ill words to say about him in front of our kids. I mean, I just, I speak life over him and the whole situation. And then even higher than that is to live what I call a pre-decided life of forgiveness. So first of all, I don't want to be easily offended. Why am I getting so offended so easily? If someone cuts me off, I have no idea what's going on in their life call me and, you know, yells at me. I don't know what's going on in their day. And so I'm just going to decide to pre forgive and I'm not going to judge people to the best of my ability. And I'm going to look for a win-win. So it's just going through life with this posture of my piece is too expensive and I'm not going to give it up. It is not worth it. So I'm going to be quick to apologize. I want to model forgiveness for my kids or friends or any future relationships that I have because it, it's not worth holding on. It's a cancer. It will kill it you. It will physically turn into stomach aches and headaches and every other ache you can imagine. And eventually death. I mean, people can True. die from bitterness and heartbreak. I have, I have seen it happen and it's, it is so sad. And I think that what we have to remember is forgiveness is a choice. We make a choice. And sometimes that's a daily choice to say, okay, I forgive that person. God, I forgive that person. And that's got to, that's sometimes just a daily decision that we make. And then I think we start to get to that place, especially when we are praying blessing over them and things like that. We start to get to that place where no, really there is no animosity, but I love that you said, but I don't want to eat dinner with them. Because so often people think, well, if I forgive them, that means I need to spend time with them. I need to be, no, that um, the same mortar that keeps the bricks together also separates them. Yes. And so we have got to just honor that we can forgive somebody. 
but that does not mean we need to spend any time with them or have them in our life. Yeah. Yeah, We need to guard our hearts. We need to have safe boundaries and some people are not safe to be in our inner circle. So they might be fine in the outer circle, but I don't need them in my intimate inner circle because that doesn't contribute to my life goal and mission. And and part of that is to have peace and joy and love. And so I don't need to assault myself with that or set myself up for, you know, failure or to be triggered um, but I can just bless them from a distance. And um, no, there's definitely no rule. There's nothing that says you need to let a foolish, um, possibly harmful person back into your life right. that's taking good things away from you at all. Do not get back. I mean, the first time, you know, maybe it's a mistake, it's an accident, but now you're the fool if you stay right. and you let that continue to happen. Absolutely. So now, how did this turn into not only, um, really forgiving yourself and recognizing that you were moving to a healthier place, but using it to help others. Yeah. So one of my goals was to get two kids off to college successfully <laughs> and about a year <laughs> and a half a ago, challenge, right? yes, by myself. <laughs> and so a year and a half ago, I did that. And I came home from that 18 hour day of moving my second child out. You know, she's got a horse and a dog and, oh you know, goodness. just round trip. It was an 18 hour day. And I came home and I sat down and I was like, okay, now what? You know, I really felt like I had this blank slate, like two kids, empty nester, new season. And I really felt impressed on my heart to take the pain and use it for purpose. Mm. And I really feel like it wasn't me consciously because I wouldn't have done it. I did not want to be the divorce coach. I mean, literally he had moved out before I even told my mom, my brother, I didn't say the word divorce for a year. I mean, I was so just silent and, you know, just embarrassed by it. So for me to go on the platform and be the divorce coach, I know it wasn't me. It was a calling. So I sat down and I started writing a curriculum, taking together all the best parts that I used to help me heal over the three and a half years. So I took the best of the best from all the counseling and the coaching and the retreats. And I put it into a program uh, that I launched yeah, about a year and a half ago for uh, women and nothing against men. I'm not saying they yeah. suffer any less. I don't hate men. I love men. Um, but it was just my heart to help women because they're the highest in poverty mm-hmm. as a single woman, especially single moms. They're the highest in, you know, just feeling the guilt and the yeah. shame and the unlovableness and the unworthiness yeah. and too many women just don't get back up. I mean, your whole show is about resilience. So let's get them back up and get them into their purpose and being a, you know, a difference maker in the world. Oh, I love that. So what does that look like? What does coaching look like? Do, do women come to you? What, 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 what do they do? Yeah. So right now everything is pretty remote because of our, yeah, our circumstances. Yeah. pretty remote. Yeah. I love, you know, live <laughs> events and eventually we'll get back to that, but I have an eight week program that anyone can start anytime. You know, they can just go to intentionallyfabulous.com. They can get the program. It walks them through these eight things, which are identity, forgiveness, renewing your mind, self-love and gratitude, purpose, divine health, abundant wealth. And then the last chapter is what I call joy, resurrection, and celebration. And that's about, you know, visualizing this whole new amazing life. It comes with a healing guide and each week has affirmations, meditations, visualizations, activations, and celebrations that have to do with those eight topics. Yes. (laughs) So 
they can go and they can get that anytime. And then there's one level up from that course where I did 21 interviews with the experts who helped me when I was going through my divorce. So they get to be a fly on the wall to these interviews with my grief counselor, my breath therapist, my healing coach, uh, even someone uh, did a negotiation and, you know, just confidence building because I, you know, I was not a master negotiator because you've got attorneys and all these decisions yeah. to make. Yeah. And so if anyone's going through divorce or really even buying a car, you can use these tools. Um, and then there's one more level above that where if they want one-on-one coaching with me throughout the eight weeks, um, I have some spots open for that as well. That is amazing because it, it really, I think when we're talking about something like divorce, it is so, you said it, it's ripping those, it's ripping that soul apart and, um, just the trauma that you go through and feeling, uh, a lack of value, feeling a lack of worth. Why doesn't he love me anymore? Why doesn't he want to be with me? And that's um, that's very challenging to get through. Yeah. So the person who leaves feels guilt and shame for breaking up the family. The person mm-hmm. who's left, they deal with massive rejection. And that was me. I mean, I would be just in bed and I would sit up in the middle of the night, rejected, rejected. Re- yeah. I mean, it was just, I, f- and then my kids were rejecting me because, you know, they were leaving and they just, like I said, they, it was, it was ugly. Yeah. <laughs> it just was. Yeah. Thankfully now, I mean, my son just had dinner with me. It's, it's just, it took time. We all had to work yeah. through it. Um, but you, you just, you're a praying mama and you're there for them and you set up those boundaries and, you know, you just have to be a, a safe place for them, but also you, you can't let them take advantage of you either. Um, so those were, you know, some of the, the steps that we had to go through, but knowing what I now know, I can help people get through it so much quicker. I mean, it still takes time, but it's not just time because right. you see people years later and they're still depressed, Yes, still holding on Bitter to and, old relationship mm-hmm. or they keep repeating, you know, same guy, different face where, you know, they, it's the same addicted guy or, you know, right. poverty guy or whatever. So we break the cycles and we get them to a healthy place where they really are healed and whole and their confidence in themselves is a lot higher. They're not a victim anymore. And so, yeah, we, we can do it faster. <laughs> That's great. So do you work with women who have both um, had the person leave and want to be um, divorce, want to be the what, the one who is initiating the divorce. Yes, absolutely both. And you know what? It used to be more men and the, the number one age for divorce is 30, which is, you know, so sad. Wow. The second age for divorce is 50, okay. um, which is, you know, I, I'm in, I'm in that group. I actually got yeah, served you're on killing my... me here. Actually yeah. 24, I'm going to go talk to my husband as soon as we leave. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got served on my 49th birthday. So oh, I was Lord. in that, yeah. that 50 group. And it was more, you know, it was about 50-50 at the start of COVID. Now, 78% of divorces are being filed by women. So it's interesting how COVID has shifted things. And and part is because they thought, okay, the man's going to come home. He's going to be in the house. He's going to help with the cooking and the cleaning, the kids and the groceries and the laundry. And that didn't necessarily happen. And it just, this whole pandemic made people really look at their lives and say, 
Am I happy? Am I fulfilling my purpose? Am I, you know, is this what I want out of life? And it's more women right now. So it doesn't matter who filed it. You still need the same things. You still need to love yourself. You still need to, you know, live in gratitude, forgive yourself. So it doesn't matter which way it goes both ways. Sometimes infidelity, you know, could be the woman, could be the man. So there's all kinds of different unique circumstances, but the principles are the same. Okay. So when you're dealing with something like infidelity, especially on the woman's part, so the woman is the one who had the affair, wants a divorce. How does that change the conversation? If, um, if that, because that is very different than maybe the man having the affair filing for divorce, or even the man having the affair and the woman filing for divorce. How does that conversation shift in the coaching? Yeah. You know, they still need to forgive themselves. They still need to renew their mind about the past and get present and get excited about the future. So they still have to get that, um, that confidence to get back up and move on. So if they've been knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, beating themselves up over having the affair and they're carrying shame or guilt or whatever it is, I want, you know, to get them to hold up the mirror and really shine truth on what's going on. Yeah. So we can look at, and I'm not a licensed psychologist, I'm a licensed divorce coach, but to really get them to take responsibility, you know, own what their part was, but then to release it in the past and let's get present, let's breathe, let's get present and let's focus on putting one foot in front of the other. So I ask them really good open-ended questions that get them to think differently because everywhere you are in your life right now is because of your beliefs, your beliefs created a thought, a thought created an action, the action created, you know, a habit, the habit became the character and the character is the identity. So are you identifying as someone who's an adulteress? You know, like we don't want to walk around life like that. So just looking at where's your identity. So it's still really all the same kind of work. That's amazing. So have you worked with anybody and I'm sure you have, but who is just not really self-aware about what their responsibility might not have, might have been in the relationship, because you're right. You made the comment. Um, it's never 100% to 0% responsibility. And, um, and although, you know, when we're dealing with something like abuse, you know, an abuser has 100% responsibility. Absolutely. But when we're dealing with a divorce, that's usually something where two people have contributed something. Um, Have you worked with someone who has thought, gosh, nope, I had nothing. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I I have. And if if you knew my story, like you would cry for me, you would say, oh my goodness, seriously, he left, like that was ridiculous that he left. That was just crazy. But I had to hold up the mirror. I chose to hold up the mirror and I realized that I was an enabler and I realized that I was a perfectionist. And what happens is if you're able to look at the relationship, you usually wind up each getting in a different ditch. Yeah. So I was married to someone who was irresponsible and foolish. So I became hyper-responsible and controlling. So sure. now you've got two people in a different ditch and then I'm, you know, getting more resentful and I'm enabling him to sit on the couch and watch baseball. And I'm out there, you know, fighting and doing all the work. And so, um, you have to 
look at, okay, how do we get here? Because we loved each other. We went to the altar. We didn't think this was going to happen. So where did it glitch? Where did it malfunction? What was I believing that wasn't true that got me to this place? So um, everyone has something to contribute in a marriage, even if there was abuse, there was, right. and again, I'm not minimizing or condoning in, in any way. I'm not saying it's easy to leave. It is all difficult, right? but I believe I'm not worthy. And so I stay here and I, I get emotionally or physically or mentally abused. So that's a, a lie. That's a false thing because right. I am worthy. Right. So yeah, even in my own situation, I, I could easily have pointed the finger and said it was all him. But after a while I was like, hi, but I was kind of tough to live with being a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was a perfectionist because you, you don't know. No. <laughs> and sometimes, um, you know, your, your friends might, maybe they're not telling you or, or you're just in denial about things, but I was a very much a perfectionist. It is hard to live with a perfectionist, but now I'm not anymore. And it's so mm-hmm. freeing for me and my kids and, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful, but I had to figure that out through the struggle. Have you ever worked with couples who might with couples who might be on the verge of divorce or might be interested in, well, maybe we're headed in that direction, but ultimately don't want to go there. Yes. My goal is always first to save the marriage. I mean, that's mm-hmm. always the first thing. If it is at yeah. all possible, you know, that's the first thing that we do. If it's not too far gone or if it's still safe and it's, you know, not an abusive situation. Right. I actually worked with a woman where she wanted to leave. I mean, she came in and she's like, I can't stand to be in the room with him. Like <laughs> I've moved to the guest room. I don't even want to look at him. I hate his tattoos. I, have. I mean, she was like, I'm John. He'll never be the man. And and so I worked with her and I said, let's just work on you. Cause either way, whether you stay right. with him or not, you know, let, let's, she's already you know, thinking about another man, which yeah. I don't recommend, you know, running into another relationship right no. away. I mean, that might be part of some people's healing down the road, having another loving relationship, but you got to get, you know, kind of further along. Otherwise you just repeat. Right. And so I worked with her on her and this was three years ago, maybe now. And they are, I love seeing their Facebook pictures. They're just so happy and they're in love and they're together and they're on vacation. I mean, they're almost inseparable. It's, it's unbelievable the shift, but it it was about working with her on her, the things that she didn't see um, that maybe she was being unreasonable about or had expectations that, you know, were just unreasonable. But the the bottom line is the number one need that everyone has, every person that's breathing wants to be loved unconditionally. It's just universal. I want to be loved for who I am. I don't want you to change me. I don't want you to coach me. I don't want you to tell me I'm broken. And no one human can meet that need completely. It's just not even, no 10 humans, no 100 humans. I mean, it's good to have community. I mean, we're designed to be here with people because I've got girlfriend groups and I've got friends who are funny and I've got friends who just have such great wisdom and, you know, I have friends who are adventurous. And so I get like pieces from different friends and, you know, it's so fun and so beautiful. And I look for the good in everyone, but no one person is going to love me completely the way I need to be loved. And that's where faith comes in. That's the number one universal need. The number one need that men have is to be respected. Mm -hmm. That's what they want. And the number one need that women have is to be secure. So what happens is, you know, looking back from this 10,000 foot view is 
Once a woman starts feeling insecure in her man, so she thinks, well, I think he's spending money or I think he's drinking on the way home from work or I think he's looking at porn in the basement. Now she feels insecure. She starts disrespecting him. He starts getting disrespected. He starts doing more reckless things, making her feel yet less secure. And now you've got this ugly cycle of hurt Mm -hmm. people hurting people. So, you know, it goes back to communication. It goes back to, you know, continue dating each other, get to know each other. There's so much that goes into having a great marriage because you're taking two very different people, even if you're similar. I mean, if you look at the statistics for people to get divorced, I was like the least like I had the lowest if you look at, you know, we were from the same place. We're both Italian. We're both, we, were, we grew up Catholic. We, I mean, if you look wow. at all the things, you know, education and age and, you know, the size of your ring, the size of your wedding, like all the things they measure, I shouldn't have gotten divorced. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you take people that are very different, different cultures, different ages, you know, it makes it more challenging. So either way, you've got two people who need to come together and be united. And again, for me, that's, that's where the faith is such an important part of that connection. Cause if you, if you rely on two fleshly people to, to just duke it out, it, it's going to be, you know, a constant it's not going to work well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. That is amazing. So, so today you are, um, you're coaching people. You're obviously doing incredible, uh, work and you're, you're healthy, you're happy, how did your kids come through it? They, um, I know that has got to be so challenging for children. And um, how long did it take them to just really recover? Yeah, I would say it's even more recently. So it's been about three plus years for all of us. And again, they we all did it a little bit differently. And I did get help. I mean, I was every day. I was, yeah. I was a counselor. I was whatever. And they really navigated a lot of it on their own. Um, so I think they're doing well and they're, you know, they were collegiate athletes, which is not easy to do, especially during COVID. I mean, COVID hit everything so much harder. So I think considering they're doing well, the good seeds are in them. So the core values are planted in them and again, I'm a, I'm a praying mama. So I'm just believing for the best outcomes and this is their journey. And at this season, they're 20 and 21. I'm here to support. I'm here for wisdom. If they ask for it, I'm their biggest cheerleaders. I love that. Um, and they've, you know, they've got to figure some things out on their own at this point too. So I would say there's a lot of great things in them. They're, they're talented, they're hardworking. They have so many good, good qualities and, you know, some things are going to have to work through. They're both in the relationships and, you know, it seems to be going well. So good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So, they believe in family. I love that. I love that. What would you say? So I have two different scenarios. What would you say to a woman who is considering divorce and really struggling and just not knowing what to do? And then what would you say to a woman who is, um, who's fearful that she's going to be walking into a possible divorce that her husband might have some sort of, that she has an inkling that her husband might want to leave her. Yeah. I mean, you need to have the critical conversations. You really do. And trying to do this alone is like taking an aspirin when you have cancer. You know, it's mm-hmm. like putting a bandaid when your arm's been amputated. You can't just do, you know, just this small thing and hope that 
things work out. You really have to take it seriously. You really have to commit to it. You really have to, you know, do a deep dive. And I have, I know there's a stigma for some people still with counseling. There's not for me. I'm like, sign Mm -mm. me up. If someone can have like, what kind of therapy do you do? Like, yeah, Yeah. I'll I'll try a session. I'm a big fan of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that can help with healing energy work. I I'm, I'm open for it. I, I I go to a bunch of different people and just see, and everyone's got something different that helps. Like this one really cut off that connection to my former husband that I can feel that physical connection. So anyway, get help. However, that looks for you. Um, Divorce coaches are out there and it doesn't mean that you're already divorced. You just could be heading in that direction, but they can help you to keep your marriage together. Um, And I would work on becoming the best version of you. So physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, socially, professionally, just in every way. So that if that blow up does happen, it's not a massive, you know, just carnage where, okay, well, my money was in order. I've got a support group of friends. uh, My job is stable. uh, I've got equity in the house, you know, whatever needs to happen so that it's not, you know, a massive explosion, but get, get your life in order. It's just a good idea. And the more you get yourself and your life in order, the better shape you're in either way, you know, believe for your marriage to work. I would definitely get an outside person to come in because you've already done both of this alone together. And this is where it's gotten you. And if you want to go to a higher level, I mean, you might be able to, you know, get a workbook and see there's some really great couples workbooks out there on love and respect Um, you know, get into a church group, get into a life group, something like that could be really helpful. I love that. Well, and I, and I think too, one of the things I'm hearing, and I, this is so important. We have to be humble enough to look at ourselves and say, maybe I need to do something different here. And that's hard to do. That's, it's hard to look at yourself and make those changes that might be necessary to better any of your relationships. Yeah. And it is so freeing when you do it because we just don't realize how we are. I mean, some people are chronic liars, you know, and to live like that is just an awful place to live. But I had an accountability partner about three years ago and we got together and he said, Kelly, you can never lie to me. And I was like, first I was like, you don't even know me. Like I'm not a liar. I don't lie but I just got even more tuned in to never lying. And you don't even realize little things like, oh yeah, I was late, you know, it was traffic, whatever. No, I, I didn't leave five minutes early. Like yeah. I didn't allow the time. And, and now I'm just honest. And to go out there and live brutally honest is such a freeing thing. And people don't even know how to handle it when you're yeah. honest. Right. So right. yeah, I mean, things like, you know, integrity and honesty and and just building those core values, you're going to attract what you put out. So if you're a person who lives loving people, connected, confident, aware with great core values, and you celebrate life and you have vision and you're healthy and you're peaceful, that's what you're going to attract. But if you're bitter and angry and Mm -hmm. depressed, and that's what you're going to attract. So we, we have a choice. Yeah. So hopefully people choose, you know, to, to take the high road. So what does resilience mean to you? Yeah. So the very lowest form of energy is victim. That's where your you know, life is happening to me and there's nothing I can do about it. The highest level of energy is love, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all that, just the highest possible vibration. And the tipping point between victim and love 
is resilience. So it's being knocked down 10 times and getting up 11. It's when you've had so many things take you down, but you chose to get back up again. You have that confidence. And uh, my background is, you know, in, in physiology and fitness. So it could start with your body language where you're just like, okay, you know, head up, shoulders back, deep breath in, chest out. And from this posture, I can't really be depressed. And now I'm going to get into gratitude because that is a super power. And about yes. a year and a half ago, I committed to filling a page every single night with gratitude and not mm. going to bed until the page was full. Oh, I love and that. It, yeah. At first it started out really mechanical. It was like, okay, I took my vitamins. I walked the dog and, you know, but then it was, I was going throughout my day looking for things to be grateful for because I wanted to fill that page. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, nobody had the day that I had. I got to talk to Stephanie today. Like, oh my goodness. Like how blessed am I? And, and who knows who might hear this? And that's amazing. And so the, the gratitude is part of the confidence because when you go throughout your day looking to receive good things and to give good things, it changes your resilience. You start to get the plane off the ground and you're like, okay, yeah. now we're flying, now we're soaring. And you know, resilience is awareness, you know, not sticking your head in the sand, but yeah. really being conscious and intentional and aware of, okay, where, where do I need to be resilient? What's the most important, urgent things that if I focus on these things could really be the difference maker. I can't do everything, man. Life has never been coming at us faster than right now. There's so much stress, so much intensity, but if I could just be resilient about the important things that would make a difference, then that would help me to switch my energy to these higher levels. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that. So where Kelly, can we find you? You know, I would love Stephanie, if people emailed me, I answer every single email. So my email is Kelly with an I at Kelly Calabrese, C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E.com. And just, you know, let me know what you maybe heard on the the podcast today that inspired you or what challenges you have. and, And I will definitely get back to you Um, They could go to intentionallyfabulous.com, which is where they can see about the single redefined is what I call the program. Um, Facebook is is my name. And I have a private group that is for women where we talk about the hard things and we laugh and support each other. And that's also called Intentionally Fabulous on Facebook. So any women thinking about divorce, separated, divorce, even seven years post-divorce, come in. It's a great group. And People just need community and and love right now. Oh, I love it. I love it. And we will make sure to put all of that in our podcast notes so people can find you. And I have just loved talking to you. This has been so much fun and you've got, um, you've got an amazing story and you're doing amazing things with it. I love it when people take what, you know, life hit them right in the a douche and they take that and and move forward and really help other people. And that's exactly what you're doing, Kelly. So thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Well, thank you, Stephanie. And honestly, thank you for bringing this program to the world. I I love anything that has to do with resilience. I'm thankful we connected and uh, I'm excited for you and and what your show is going to do. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad you were here and thank you for listening in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Please share with anyone you think will benefit from this podcast.